0: Hello everybody, uh, my name's Tom Sandham, uh, I'm joined here by uh, Ben McFarland and together we are the Thinking Drinkers and we are bringing you this podcast uh, which is all about alcohol and we're, we're doing it because we're drinks experts, we've been writing about booze for about 20 years I'd say, Ben is that about right?
1: I reckon so Tom, that's about right yeah.
0: About 20 years and uh, and we're a bit of a big deal in the drinks world, Ben is a beer writer of the year, three times Three running. times. Three times, uh, he likes to talk about that a lot. It's uh, and rightly so. It's a prestigious set of awards he's got there. And I'm the IWSC Spirits Communicator of the Year. We've been uh, Educators of the Year for our industry. Um, we've written a series of fantastic books, award-winning books that are all available on our website, ThinkingDrinkers.com. And um, and yeah, we really know our stuff. But about ten years ago, we took all that knowledge into uh, into the world of theatre and wrote a comedy show all about drink. Um, in which audiences listen to us talk about drink but also drink five free drinks and we've been taking that around the country for the last 10 years to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and, uh, and various uh, incarnations. Um, we'll be doing it again very soon as a, a pub quiz. Um, so the point I'm making there is that we really know our stuff don't we Ben? So we thought we'd use some of that knowledge uh, and put it all into a podcast for you listeners um, during these times of isolation and, uh, and why don't you tell that's what the podcast about, Ben.
1: Well, thank you very much, Tom. That was a wonderful intro. As we've got no show to do uh, in August for Edinburgh, we thought we'd do a podcast, and it's called Around the World Native Drinks. And it's fairly self-explanatory. We are going to take you at a time when you're, you can barely go to the end of your road for a bottle of booze. We're going to take you on a journey around the world and explore all the great drinks that are out there, tell you a bit about them, tell you some of the stories behind them, because there's nothing more boring than just telling people what a drink tastes like. What we're interested in is the stories, the people, the past, and the places that shape each and every one of these bottles we're going to be trying, and hopefully this will be a bit of an escapism. I mean, people say that alcohol is an escape, uh, and it is and this time I don't know about you, Tom, but I've been drinking a little bit more than I normally do, and you know I've been treating myself always, however, following our message mantra motto, which is
0: drink less,
1: but drink better." Yeah. but have you been drinking a little bit more?
0: I think so. And I think um, uh, still in moderation, uh, ultimately, there's no point in drinking to excess because there's nowhere else to go apart from the four walls of my house. But uh, yeah, I think it's fa- fair to say that at a moment we do need treats, don't we? And uh, um, whether that's chocolate, cakes, um, or alcohol, you know, it's just that little thing at the end of the day that gets you through it if you've been having to homeschool your children yeah um as we know that is hard graft jesus Um, christ
1: nothing else turns into (laughs) drink more than those lovely little people
0: pretty grim um but this is this is this is our inaugural podcast what we're going to try and do over the coming weeks is uh, tell you in in advance what to buy so you can taste some beautiful drinks with us as we take you out of your uh, isolation across the world um, through the medium of audio, and um, uh, but we're not going to taste anything probably with you this week because it's the first one. Ben, is that about right? And I think yeah. Well, well we haven't told gonna... people what
1: we're going to taste this week. This is just to give people an idea of how it works. Um, and uh, yes, like you say, each week we're going to tell people what we're going to be tasting next week, giving them an opportunity to uh, buy it online um, or maybe go down to their local off licence or supermarket to buy it. One of the great things the government has done during this crisis. Maybe one of the few good things they've done, (laughs) controvert, some would say, is um, make sure that off-licences and supermarkets and booze shops are essential key workers, and that is fantastic. Thank God they kept those bad boys open. Um, But hopefully we'll we'll recommend places for you to go online and buy them. But most of the drinks we're going to be trying are readily available. Um, We're not going to go too obscure, certainly not at the beginning. And what the first beer we're going to try in what this it, podcast, then? the first drink, um, is rather apt. It is, of course, Corona. Oh, uh, oh, see what I've done there. Corona so Extra from uh, Mexico. Do you know uh, why the Corona beer is called Corona? And why, why the coronavirus, which is entirely separate, I must make that <laughs> blatantly clear if there's any any big... Lawyers listening. We're not saying that the two are connected in any way, but do you know what corona is in Spanish?
0: I don't, Ben. Uh, enlighten me.
1: It's crown.
0: Oh, crown okay.
1: And the reason coronavirus is called coronavirus is if you look at look at it through a microscope, it looks like a crown.
0: Right. Well, so there, there we go. go. There's some, this part part is, is the that, sort there's
1: of... no similarities <laughs> there whatsoever.
0: Now, um, no, because I would have thought corona. Dare I say it was is fairly harmless. Um, oh, it is. Buds, if anything, yeah, it's coronavirus coronavirus in every single way we're about to find pretty, out. pretty harmful. <laughs> but
1: so. that said, there was a news um, a news item which uh, I came across recently that said that sales of Corona in America had plummeted, and that um, a lot of people claimed that they would not drink it at the moment because of coronavirus that sounds ridiculous and if it, it sounds ridiculous normally it is and it is mm. absolute nonsense all they did was ask uh, uh 750 americans whether they drink corona oh whether well, sorry whether they would drink corona at the moment and um over half said they wouldn't but they didn't say that they didn't wouldn't drink it because of the virus they just said they wouldn't drink it because it tastes like shit
0: oh, um, wow that's um so you know. um shit. That's harsh. <laughs> well,
1: well, that was that's pretty much uh, what the survey said. Um, so, uh, but we're not going to believe the papers. Um, we're going to test it for ourselves and see what we think. So, I've got a bottle of Corona here. I've got the wedge of lime. Yeah. Okay. It, um, from my local um, shop, uh, booze shop, which is called the Nest in West London.
0: Now, the it's, lime. I. I mean, I. I most recently yeah. been drinking Corona in. Mexico. mexico uh i didn't actually have a lime with it just uh, just had it with some uh, with some mexican snacks um is what's the lime story is it something they've pushed or is it just something that we in blighty think is a is a, a cool little gimmick there's lots of
1: um there? there's lots of uh misleading uh historical facts on the internet if you look at it some say that the lime was used to wipe the rust from the bottle cap off the bottle and then they put that lime into the bottle which is highly unlikely (laughs) because why would you do that secondly um, another slightly weird colonial angle was that they put the limes in there to keep the flies away because you know about (laughs) these third world countries they're just riddled with flies obviously (laughs) that of course is nonsense as well Uh, the real story is it is marketing nonsense Um, Uh, they put it in there because, uh, t- well, firstly, I imagine to give the beer a little bit of flavour to disguise the taste, but also it looks good. Mm. If it, was, it differentiates the beer from other ones, but I, but I've done it. I put it in there, and and it's not something Mexicans do ever. It's very right. much a gringo way of drinking the uh, drinking the beer, and and given that Corona is the biggest American uh, biggest foreign import into America in terms of beer. That's why we associate it so readily. So I've stuffed the lime down there. Fresh lime, cold beer. It's uh, an April evening. Let me just taste it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, it, it, it's quite a specific style of beer, isn't it? Corona. It's it's a light sort of it's a light Lager style style beer. Why is that a particular favourite for the Mexicans? Because I can't I can't think of their. Extraordinary well, lager brewing heritage. I tend to well, think about. Well, there's from there's
1: a, a very famous beer writer called Michael Jackson, not the not the baby dangling Michael Jackson, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the glove. He, um, no, he uh, was a beer writer, a very famous beer writer, who said he basically said that the more macho and muscular and hot a country is, the uh, less exciting its beers were, and that I pretty much think. Um, uh, sums up Mexico I don't know if you've been watching Narcos recently Narcos I'm on Netflix scared. it's all about the Mexican cartels. it's quite scary lots of guns, lots of nasty people um, and one thing that is completely devoid of humour, Narcos um, if you were to join a cartel one thing you would notice is that none of them are kind of funny guys, they're all <laughs> very seriously um, so it's quite macho it's very hot there um, and this beer is great if it's hot. Uh, we've been to Mexico together,
0: haven't we, my darling? We have. I've we went had had a lovely time with you. Last We shared a year. hotel room, didn't we?
1: Uh, yes. No,
0: that was in my dream, maybe. Yeah.
1: Um, and it's and it's lovely. I and mean, it's it's lovely when it's hot. But everything's anything <laughs> liquid and cold and refreshing is nice when it's hot. Um, and this has got corn in it and rice, as well as barley, and that that. Tends to thin out the beer, so it does exactly what it's supposed to. There's not claiming to be a complex beer, it's absolutely fine if it's boiling hot. I've, um, mm. it's completely inoffensive. It, it mm. and to brew a beer consistently this bland takes a lot of brewing skill. And I actually went mm. to the brewery a few years ago, really. Um, yeah, I cannot tell you anything about the I, beer. They just imagine it, it was taste. a
0: was it quite artisan and uh boutique? Yeah,
1: yeah, really. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, put it this way. We went, went on a, the brewery tour, was done on a golf cart, it was massive. Whoa. Yeah, and they just pointed at things as we passed them. Um, so it wasn't a particularly artisan experience, but then I wasn't expecting it to be. Um, and I was on a press trip, so I had no, no, I was in no position to complain. Um, and they took me to Acapulco. Uh, they took me to Acapulco. I stayed in a honeymoon suite where, in the middle of the night, uh, these, I wasn't on honeymoon. They just put me in the honeymoon suite. And the middle of the night, this, this woman or man, I don't know who it was, came and sprinkled rose petals on my bed. And then they led out of the door into the outdoor swimming pool.
0: Weird. Wowzers. Really weird. That is loco down in. It is loco. And
1: <laughs> the irony is that you can't go to Akabuko anymore, because the cartel are running, running things down there. Anyway. <laughs> uh, let's go on to Mexican um, if there are any cartel members listening that's fine I haven't got a problem with that
0: no guns uh, for hire if anything <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> but uh, as we're in Mexico and this is round the 90 drinks it would be remiss of me not to tell you a bit about Mexican brewing history do you yes, want to hear about that Tom I do let's good, hear it a whistle stop done some research uh, and it's got surprisingly rich ish Brewing history, is hugely influenced by the German and Austrian immigrants who started brewing in Mexico during the short-lived reign, the reign, that's right, between mm-hmm. 1864 and 1867 of the Austrian born Mexican emperor, Maximiliano the first, and indeed last. So the, the, Germans, so the
0: Mexicans actually well, the Germans had the Mexico Germans Mexico ruling. Do Yeah, and I they built loads that. of
1: breweries then. Uh, they bu- mm-hmm. built loads of breweries with trademark Teutonic efficiency, and these thrived um, uh, they, they thrived in the early 19th century. There were 35 independent breweries in Mexico, and this was buoyed by the fact that um, there was U.S. prohibition. So a lot of these breweries benefited from Americans crossing the border. There wasn't a wall back then. Across the border, enjoyed the beers. And the the legacy is quite strong because there are a few beers in Mexico called Vienna, l- Vienna style lagers and these are reddish brownish amber beers lager beers brewed with slightly darker malt, massive uh, they were massive in the 19th century um, in the 1840s in Europe and now Neg- Negra Modelo which is brewed by the same brewery as Corona, that's probably the best Mexican beer, it's a v- Vienna style lager, best Mexican beer you can get over here I reckon by a country mile so if you're going to go to a shop, buy Mexican beer, I would get that one. It's nutty. It's a bit stronger. It's got some flavor. And Vienna lagers are massive in Mexico, uh, even bigger than they on Vienna. In fact, no, people don't really? drink it in Vienna. Yeah, they don't drink them in mm. Vienna anymore. It's, it's, we'll come back to this, Tom, at uh, a later date. I'm sure the listeners can't wait. Um, oh. <laughs> because Vienna. Oh, Vienna. Lagers are very nice. wait. They're basically an amber lager. It's probably slightly darker mold. That's it. Okay. So they got a little bit more flavour, so you can get good beer in Mexico. It's just we've chosen one that hasn't got much flavour, but right. I think people
0: know that. Yeah, and it's in a clear bottle as well, Ben. Which is which... all very bad, Tom. Very yeah. Bad. Can get My understanding of that is yeah, impairs flavours. It
1: does. Luckily, there's no flavour in there to begin with. So there we are. <laughs> right. So that's Mexico. Okay. Um, I hope that's been enlightening for everyone. It's um, certainly
0: very topical, the Corona link. I liked it. So so. Um, while I was scratching around for something to talk about in this first podcast, I thought I'd keep it topical as well. And I'd, I'd take us to China, mm-hmm. um, which is where it all began, isn't it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? Um, oh, is it? Is oh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 either way, they've had a bit of a bad PR rap over this whole thing um and uh, and it would perhaps be pr crisis management so what i thought i might do is try and redress the balance a bit um by reminding everyone what china has given to us in terms of drinking history because ben did you know you probably did because you're a drinks historian as well but mm-hmm. um when it comes to the location of the first evidence of alcohol production we mm-hmm. are taken to china right um this is not uh, something we've made up or or taken off wikipedia this was uh, based on a scientific study um uh, real nerds in lab coats uh, discovered uh, ancient pots in the henan province was it an um, ancient place and- called he how wasn't it <laughs> he how um he how and they they discovered um these these pots uh, and in them was residue of a rice, honey, uh, some sort of hawthorn fruits and grape um, fermented wine, uh, which dates back to 7000 BC. So it makes it the oldest alcohol beverage in the world with definitive proof. So um, we owe China a fair amount. We should fact, uh, respect the fact that they've, um, they've got some extraordinary drinking heritage there. They do. Um, in fact,
1: just to go back to that, that, there was a beer brewed by Dogfish Head which one called chateau hihau which was, was they tried yeah. to recreate that exact recipe and it became a bit of a cult favorite amongst the craft beer crew they did um, so that's my that's my take on things you know uh, I, I
0: it was it was it uh, uh, very worth mentioning it because uh, the dogfish head crowd have done some fantastic beers check them out um uh, but i i'm going to dwell more on the um on the distillate uh, that these guys make. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, it, it's called baijiu, or baijiu, and um, and uh, and it's, it's made out of grains, sorghum, uh, wheat as well. Um, distillation didn't really come into China until around 900 AD. It's thought that the, they took the distillation methods maybe from uh, the Middle East or even Mongolia. They were distilling their fermented mare's milk, which we talked about in our show, we? they did, yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah, uh, uh, the, the milk from lady horses, of course. Um, which it's was which was used, cumis, isn't it? Tom, it was called cummis, and um, so they were a bit later into distillation. Interestingly, the Chinese, um, like a lot of cultures where we talk about alcohol being safer than water, the Chinese were already boiling their water, so they didn't have the same. Issues with water purification, but they did embrace their spirit baiju and it, as a result, it's become a massive part of their culture over the centuries that followed. And there are loads of great rituals that relate to um, to the baiju rituals, and one of them comes from um, Tibetan monks. Uh, this is called the Kapala, um, in which the Tibetan monks would take the top of an actual human skull, um, and they would carve it and make nice put nice jewels into it and they fill it with this alcohol uh, and drink it. Um, it was a, a, a ritual preserved for uh, most experienced of llamas. And um, they, they believed that it would transfer the knowledge and karma of the skull's former owner to the drinker. So, um,
1: so, so they've got... let, me, no, no, sorry, sec, let me get it straight. You die, right? Let's just say you die and you're a llama. Um, a, a,
0: a Dalai Lama, I should clarify. A Dalai, not okay. a not right. spitting llama. A no, not llama. one
1: of those. Sorry. Okay, the Dalai Lama. And then uh, I cut your head off. Yeah. Um, well, but, and then yeah. get, well, it's probably been done by a pro. Okay. And
0: then <laughs> Actually, I'm dead.
1: And then you're dead. And I've got your skull. And I pour mm-hmm. the you into the skull with some jewelry. Mm hmm. Jewelry. Uh, some you know, signet rings, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, lovely, lovely. And then I drink it. Then I take on your what your personality.
0: Yeah, um, karma. well, no, the good, the good, the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Um, although, if I'm a really nasty piece of work, I guess you take on my bad, my bad karma. Um, okay. Well, I mean, you know i don't I think it's the what thing to i get what do you
1: think on? i'd get if i drank you, your your in your
0: head um at the moment you'd get you'd get a high level of frustration and um anger directed towards three people specifically um <laughs> who, who i'm in very <laughs> Who would they be to space
1: would, who are living in your house who knows?
0: Maybe you'd have four skulls, Ben. Who knows? <laughs> um, best not to dwell on it. Hey, isolation. It's uh, changing the nation. Isolation, uh, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so. I think you're quite calm, though. I think I'd be calmer, yeah.
0: but I think it would well, be. I don't know. I've got it all up. Some, and... some latent anxiety. No, no. It's bottled. It's oh. simmering. And you just release it because you're a bit more open about your problems. Um, you never shut up about them. So imagine having mine as well. You'd be. Yeah, you'd be a walking, moaning. It's quite a good thing to be. do.
1: I mean, if you think what happens to skulls normally, just sit on the ground, be nice. Then Blackbeard was a pirate, and he used to um drink rum out of skulls of,
0: of other pirates that he killed. Yes, he did. He was famous for that, and uh, he that said it gave him fortitude.
1: First, yeah, wasn't that where the first punch bowl came from?
0: Yes. Well, he, he believed that it gave him strength, didn't it? And it took about 50 swipes of the sword and a number of shots from various guns to take him down in the end. Um, yeah. and that, 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 an, that's another story. That's one for rum. Yeah. Let's keep for it on powder dry, Tom, see what I've done. Right? <laughs> oh, I must love what you've done there. Um, but we, we will just focus on the by Joe at the moment. Um, uh, going back to the Chinese drinking contemporary scene, it's brilliant over there. If we, uh, if we ever get out of this pickle we're in now, highly recommend a trip to Hong Kong. I was out there not so long ago, judging on a cocktail competition and got to dip in some of the great bars, the Mandarin Oriental. Um, uh, Antonio Lai is a bartender out there who does a lot of molecular mixology. It's loads of great drinks, stuff going on there. So they've got all the heritage and all the g- contemporary stuff um but more relevantly while i was there i did try some of the uh, the national spirit um and yes as we said this is the first episode so you're not necessarily going to be tasting this with me uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing well with son? you <laughs> cuz a lot of it is very very difficult to drink um they have an incredibly artisan method of production and while we uh, tend to scoff and sniff at some some things that call themselves artisan this really is a is is different level it's up there with um with mezcal in in tequila so um, they do uh what's called a solid fermentation so they take their grains whether it's sorghum or, or the wheat and they um they dampen it and then they bury it in mud pits and then they they top it up with a mix of grain that's got some uh, bacteria in it and uh, and also some wild yeast and they leave it just packed as a solid thing to ferment um, so it's quite an unusual process that. You don't really see in any other distillation methods maybe in grappa they're the only others i can think of really that would probably use a solid fermentation um process so they it's, it's quite it sounds quite unpleasant these bacteria add flavors
1: but would it have originally just been made sort of by mistake point, it would have been made naturally um yeah well yeah the and fermentation then they stumbled across process it went, what's
0: this well, yeah, you say that, but actually, it's pretty proprietary stuff. This this okay. um, Q, they call it ki Q U, um, and it is. I think it's it, it's quite an interesting science behind it because we, in the world of whiskey, might see them using a liquid fermentation process, as you do with beer. Um, it's quite unique in that they can they can break down the the sugars with the enzymes in this, and they can find the the bacteria for flavors and the yeast. For fermentation so it's all happening all in one go so it's quite an interesting approach to it and they can leave that ferment fermenting for about a month so right. as you can imagine that's going to develop some quite funky flavors and aromas and and the resulting spirit that comes after distillation is it can be really smoky um it can be quite mushroomy and quite quite potent it sounds awful, quite, mate. is it bad yeah, it can is be it pretty bad? difficult some of it smells like soy sauce so it's it's an acquired taste. Um, I it, think some things can, can
1: be too artisan.
0: Well, yeah. Would you say it? Um yes, I think that's fair fair comment. Um but uh, this isn't something you need to get into in a big way. It's not going to take on gin. I think no. if you're getting into those really funky baijos, you're going to probably use it as a cocktail ingredient just to change the flavor of something. Um the one I'm drinking at the moment is called HKB, which is Hong Kong baijo. You can actually get that from the whiskyexchange.com for £49.95. So you can find some that are a bit more palatable. This one's a bit more fruity. There's some apple in there. It's a bit sweeter. Um, So it's a bit easier to drink. So there are examples out there if you want to explore this further. But as we said, this is the inaugural podcast. We thought we'd try some things that you don't necessarily have to try with us. Or want to try. Um, Or want to. Um, or need to or should ever. Um, so so that, that's just an introduction into something to show you what a great, great heritage and history there is in world drinking. So that's our first podcast. Uh, uh, next week, we are going to try some things that people might like to buy in advance. So yes. uh, the next podcast will be in a week. And I'm going to go from something extreme to something more mainstream, and gin, and I'm going to suggest that people get hold of a bottle of Plymouth gin ahead of our next podcast, um, gin. which we'll be tasting proper gin, uh, not one of these newfangled gins. Something proper. Um, so we're going to be trying that, and we'll talk you through the history and the flavours in that gin. And Ben, what are you going to be trying? Well, as
1: we're heading to Devon, um, I'm going to go for a Devon brewery as well. Um, it's a brewery called Utopian, and um, they make they specialize in british lagers and we're going to go for an unfiltered lager um which is really 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 good so we're going to talk about that um both of the the, the details of where to get both of these drinks we'll put on our social media twitter um at thinking drinks instagram and facebook at thinking drinkers and i'm thinking tom can we put all the details below the podcast i think we probably can, we can. yeah so we'll be doing that as well
0: okay brilliant well that's been our first podcast thank you very much for listening hopefully hopefully we took you away from your isolation for for 20 minutes or so there Uh, and tune in next time for some more drinks and some more fantastic knowledge nice one remember our motto our mantra our message drink less but drink better better. cheers cheers